Hello, hello. Welcome back to Project 99. It is July 9th, 2020. How are you doing today? Um, awful, actually. <laughs> um, I've had normal hair for probably um, like two years now. I've been growing it out and then more blue mohawks. And I suddenly decided that I was going to dye my whole head blue. So I was like, yay, I'm excited. And then Doug was Just like... Just the part covered with hair, though. Not your whole head. Yeah. <laughs> But, in, you know, in my defense, the last time I dyed my hair blue, there was just a tiny little strip of mohawk. Um, so I got the bleach and uh, the blue hair dye, and I bleached my hair, and there was a bunch of patches in it because I have the thickest hair known to man. Thank um, your Irish roots for that. Yeah, it's ab- absolutely ridiculous. I know everybody says they have thick hair, but literally there hasn't <laughs> been a time that I got my hair cut that the, the, the stylist wasn't like... Yeah. I have never seen hair this thick in my life. <laughs> and I've been cutting hair for 25 years. Like, something stupid. So, yeah. So, I got splotchy hair. And then I tried to just say fuck it and dye the blue over it. And I didn't have enough of that either. So, guess I'm just going around with splotch head until tomorrow when I can get more <laughs> dye. So, yeah. You looked like you've been mugged by the Kool-Aid guy. Yeah. <laughs> yep. It's pretty awful. So, happy fucking Thursday. <laughs> I'm already drinking. <laughs> Uh, but besides that, there was some good news today. The Supreme Court ruled uh, that Trump has to turn over his tax returns Woo-hoo! to the New York prosecutors. Woo-hoo! And I bet it's a kick in his fucking teeth that both of the people he appointed ruled against him. <laughs> <laughs> that happens a lot because they always appoint these guys that they consider to be like right wingers. Yeah. But the problem is when you get into a room with a group of people, it's a deliberative body, right? And you get really down to the brass tacks of logically arguing out, debating out, and find truth-finding mission, okay? You will find that even though you ideologically sit to the right or left, someone on the other side is going to make sense sometimes. Right, yeah. So they always complain, all these right-wingers always complain, well, we put that guy in the court so he could be a conservative. Now he's just bending to the liberals. It's like, no, he's kind of using common sense and legality like that's right. what you he's actually he's supposed not pandering to, do. to you i mean i wouldn't cut all the right-wing people that have been appointed some breaks but i just think when you hear that argument from right-wingers that they're you know giving up their conservatism and going with the lefties that it's all bullshit it's just because it's really probably hard because ruth gator ginsburg is probably ruth bader ginsburg. ruth bader ginsburg yeah i said it wrong um she's probably a tough cookie probably She's probably a tough nut to crack, man. She's been here a long time. You know what I mean? She's made a lot of decisions. you got to have some kind of sound logic about yourself to do that job. But anyway. So, yeah, there was all that. Um, thank you guys for continuing to listen. I hope you enjoyed the last episode we did with Jermaine. Uh, we were supposed to have a guest tonight, but because of coronavirus, her work got held up. So hopefully we'll be having her on soon. But um, what did you bring for us today, Mick? So today we're going to talk about language, labels, and love. Um, <laughs> what about that last part? <laughs> okay, so actually gender and sexuality, but you know, I was trying to stick with the alliteration of oh, wow, the three yeah, L's. That's yeah, great. So kind that of was that. really clever. Yeah. So I've wanted to do this topic for a long time now, but damn it, like so much important shit happens all the time. And oh, we're going to talk about it. So And then last week we had to have a nonsense episode so we could... Yeah, just bullshit with Jermaine. (laughs) But you know, I've kind of rolled this a top this topic around in my head for years, and 
personally find it fascinating, although once I get into it, you might think, man, did she smoke a big fat one before <laughs> she came on here? Because this is some far out shit. <laughs> but um, just to be clear, we're not smoking a big <laughs> fat one. So no, but you might well indulge because we are fine with that. Um, so okay. where do we start? So where we're going to start is that with language. So we all of us speak every day convey our thoughts to each other and we don't really do it consciously and when I say that I mean that you know you breathe without thinking and when you speak you're just speaking because it's a natural human thing that once you learn to do it like driving your car you're kind of just going along and you unconsciously just do it right yeah for sure that's why I said some of these people uh shouldn't just be required to wear masks they should be required to wear muzzles because <laughs> some people should just not some of them help. call them muzzles because they're crybabies <laughs> But, Those um, are the types that you put the muscles on. <laughs> right. But no, language is something that all of us have been doing since probably before we had memory. And, you know, that's kind of important because when you, like, who remembers saying their first word? Probably nobody. I mean, there's probably like one in a million person who might actually remember saying their first word, unless they were a really late speaker. You know, and there's some theories that human memory you know we don't remember our very early memories in a in a distinct way because we don't attach language to them we don't have words to attach to our experiences when we're born we know when we're six months old we don't have those words so we can't reinforce the memory we can't go back a month later and say oh I remember mommy had that dress on blah 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 we can't use words so it's kind of a vague cloudy memory that doesn't isn't reinforced enough to become permanent so, I mean, that's a theory as to why we don't have super early memories because it kind of memory develops with language. Hmm. So, you know, when a child is first experiencing the world, they experience it in a totally sensory way. You know, when, the, when a little kitten comes up and, you know, they, they pet it and they, they kind of feel its fur tickle in their face and, you know, they're they see what it's feel what it smells like and you know there's all these sensory things going on but they have no words to describe that experience it's all very physical and real and then after some time you know you tell your child oh that's a kitten and so then they look at it and they go it's a kitten you know and then they see a different cat that's a different color maybe it's bigger smaller <clears throat> maybe it's a two-dimensional picture of a cat and over time they begin to understand that all of these different things I've seen and experienced are different, but they all have these same list of things that makes it a cat. Right. So, and I mean, it sounds very simplistic when you first start thinking about this idea that, okay, well, duh. I mean, you know, at some point a kid goes, oh, well, you know, that Doberman is a dog, but also that Chihuahua is a dog. But that's, right. that's a pretty elaborate concept when you stop and think about how children are perceiving everything individually as non-named things that at some point they start to understand that you have to figure out whether this thing is in this category or that category and it's based on the criteria that we've determined right <clears throat> yeah which uh, dogs is a really good example because there are dogs that are just like so different right there's so much variety that if I mean, you with said cats <clears throat> they're basically all roughly the same size you know, when, when kids are exposed to cats, they're, they might be different colors, but for the most part, 
they're they're roughly the same right but dogs i mean yeah you can have a great dane and then a teacup chihuahua and they're just they're, right. nothing about them is the same no i mean and their demeanor i mean their, their skull shape isn't even the same some animals some some dogs don't even have tails it's right, actually yeah. even some cats don't have a tail yeah so i mean what do you really tell a child you don't really tell them oh well see this is a dog because it has four legs and it has a nose and it has a tail and you, you don't tell a kid that they just look at it and observe it and then they see you call that a dog then right. they see you call this a dog and that a dog and they kind of get this impression of what a dog is right yeah. in their brain so language yeah. is really complex yeah that's really interesting when you put it that way because when you say the kid gets the impression just by watching what you call things that i mean that does dive off into a lot of other categories because you know when we talk about racism and how it's taught you know you're not, nobody's born racist mm -hmm. but then you see just how even from that young of an age it gets ingrained into people because mm -hmm. if they watch an adult treat people of color differently right they they learn that right you know and i wonder if somebody raised that way from you know very very small into adulthood can ever change that about themselves because well, it's just I mean, so ingrained right i think with racism there is i mean i hope we do a show on how neurologically i think there's some things that can make you have a tendency toward racism. I don't think just genetic necessarily, but I think that some people have a greater fear response yeah. of anything mm -hmm. different. So, I mean, there's some studies in that, and hopefully we can do an episode on that one time. But, but yeah, so, so anyway, yeah, language. So we, we go from being these amazing little sponges that have no words to being taught what things are labeled and we learn labels are attached to things that fit certain criteria and we don't oftentimes think about when I say to you you know well I went to the park and I sat by a tree and I saw some kids playing and then this person came by walking a dog and you know I say those things to you and so what I'm doing is I'm taking a thought that is in my mind a memory that I had of these very specific things that I experienced in a very physical and sensory way. And I put these labels on them and I say them to you. And then you hear these words and what do you do? You go into your mind, into your memory of experiences of when you were at a park under a tree and saw some children. But the problem with our communicating that way is that, you know, your, your subjective memories and my subjective memories are, are not the different. same. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So when I was in high school, I took a creative writing class and I had always liked to write poetry and stories and things like that. And I took this creative writing class and I was like, wow, this is so amazing because learning all these different words, not only did I fall in love with the thesaurus, <laughs> even though I still can't say it, but you know, because it's like having a palette of all these different colors to paint this picture with every little nuance that you want. And you think if you write something with enough detail, you describe it and how, how it touched and how, how it felt when you touched it and the smell and the temperature of the air and was it humid outside. And you describe a story in enough, with enough labels and detail that for one moment, the person reading that is sharing an actual experience with you. Like as a writer, that's what you feel like is that you're creating intimacy between you and the listener, the reader. And I think that with language, we kind of, in most of our practice of language, we have kind of a utilitarian sense of it, like it's to convey a point. So when I tell you I went to the park and I sat on this tree, like it's kind of like, okay, I get the point. And we don't really have, we don't really use language 
in the sense to create, you know, intimate experiences. But I believed it was possible <laughs> up to a certain point. But then I had children. I got married and I had children. And, you know, having kids was my first experience with a non-speaking human. <laughs> oh, that freaks me out so much, okay? And I say this all the time, and I think it wasn't until I started being around little kids, which was strange to me because throughout my entire life, all of my cousins were relatively in the same age group as me, mm -hmm. right? I mean, the biggest age gap between any of us is four years until way later on. And I was an adult and wasn't, wasn't, I was a teenager, wasn't really around my very, very little cousins. Um, there was never really any babies around. So that was weird for me. I didn't do any babysitting. Um, but the first interaction I had with people who couldn't speak very well was when I was in high school and I did uh, volunteer work with the Special Olympics. And that was like the first time I was really around any mentally handicapped people. And it freaked me out a lot because the way that they interact and the way that they present themselves is not what I'm used to. Mm -hmm. So, you know, someone who has autism who's, you know, like screaming or yelling, um, I'm instantly like panicked. Like, what is wrong? And they're like, mm -hmm. nothing's wrong. He just, you know, sometimes he just gets excited. And mm -hmm. that was very scary for me because I'm like, I don't know how to... I don't know how I don't know how to I don't know how to interact with you. Right. And then I always felt like when my aunt was taking care of this woman who had had um, a stroke, she couldn't talk, and you know people talked to her like she was a kid. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I, I didn't know how to talk to her because that seemed so offensive to me to talk mm -hmm. to her like she was a child. Mm -hmm. But I mean, I guess there was really no way for them to gauge how much of it she was really understanding at the time. Mm -hmm. And that was very strange for me. I was, it was, it was shocking to me how jarred I was that right. I was like, I don't know how to communicate. And I think with that's you. because we kind of accept that most human beings have a certain le general level of speaking ability, right? And we don't think about it. Language is no, not I never something thought about it that before. we think about. So that's why I really wanted to talk about this subject today because I feel like, you know, when we think about speaking, like I said, we think of it as the thought is being is the, the speech is the vehicle that carries our thought so when we think we speak to convey what we're thinking but we don't often think about how language changes our thought process right i guess that's why they freaked in the me reverse out because there was no thought process yeah I had, I had nothing to go off of i mean with those people and with with kids, when my brother had a baby, I, I just didn't, I did not know how to deal with that. I didn't mm -hmm. know how to talk to her because she just, she would just cry. And I'm like, I don't know what to do. Right. There's no specificity to it. But see, that's the thing. When I had you and your brother, I, for the first time, encountered this little child, infant, who was feeling things and experiencing things and had no way to tell me and no way to yeah, that's describe scary. it. But what I found was that without me speaking, the two of us just sharing a silent experience of a kitten or a dog or whatever, that there was like a nonverbal way to interact. And I thought, oh my God, like I never thought of this before. Like what, I mean, what if human beings were like animals and we didn't have language cluttering up our brains? What if we just had to experience everything with our senses all the time? And so... When I, when I would, was writing creatively, I would challenge myself to do this. So I would go down a street that I'd seen a hundred times and look at it as if I'd never seen it before. I would just open my eyes and think, I've never been in this place before. And you, 
I don't know if everybody can do that, but if you just like let your mind do it and you look at a place and you just, you notice things that you never noticed before. It's like you can look at it in a really fresh kind of like childlike way. And I think as adults, like we, we lose the capacity to do that because yeah, you know, what's a really good example of that is when you fall asleep on the couch and you wake up and you were in such a deep sleep that when you wake up and you're like, I'm not in my bedroom and you're like looking around mm-hmm. and for a minute you like don't know where you are. And then you're like, oh, I'm in my fucking living room. Like, <laughs> but for like a split second, you're like noticing all these things about the room that seem so foreign to you because your brain's just like not processing. It's it's kind of like when you take a drink of something and you expect it to be something else and it's not. Right. And it's just like, it tastes different yeah. because you weren't expecting it. It's like right. you're, you're actually tasting it because you're not expecting something. You don't something. have a preconceived idea in right. your mind of what it is. Yeah, that's crazy. And that's what I think is a lot of the problem because in today's world, we know that when a person has a thought and they re- have that thought recurring over and over and over again, that it actually physically can create stronger connectivity in your brain to that thought. So the neurons that process that thought, that thought, that specific thought, get stronger. And neurons that would process a different thought get weaker. It's like, it's like muscles. So, you know, it's really important that we challenge ourselves to not get caught in a rut and thinking of in a certain specific way. And I think that language drives us in that direction because it requires us to take something that is completely subjective, completely nuanced, and give it a a label that there's no possible way that that label can ever actually convey to you what that experience is for me. So we kind of all live in our own realities as we're experiencing it. We try to share each other's reality, but there are certain limitations. There, yeah, that's a good point. There are certain limitations. That's that's absolutely a true thing. And I, the only way I know how to describe that is that there are a lot of relationships that I can make in life, but I will absolutely never be closer to anyone than you and my brother and my childhood best friend, Ruan, because we have experienced the same things together. Right. So there's just no way that I could ever meet anyone that's going to have as good as an understanding as like right. something that I went through with my best friend. Like I remember when the, this phrase came out and it probably now it seems like it's been around forever, but I feel you. Yeah, I feel you. I say <laughs> like, that all the time. I would hear people say I feel you and it was kind of like a slang thing, but it was like, oh my God, like that is the best phrase ever because you would say, yeah, I, I get it or I understand what you're saying, but I feel you is specifically telling you that I'm in just the spot you are. Like right. I really I'm a do. super big empath, so I feel like that's that's why I use that phrase. Like why so did we much. not have that phrase before? I don't know. Like people that bash slang seriously, they need to just quit because there are things that we don't have words for that we need an expression to say that that thing. So right. if somebody comes up with it, just be quiet. <laughs> it's yeah. now part of our language. <laughs> we need it. <laughs> so there's the limitations of language, okay, in relationships. I thought that the more you could specifically describe how you felt to another person, the closer that you would be with that person. This is faulty thinking because when my marriage started to go downhill and the arguments ensued, I found out that me and my husband's capacity for language, both of us are very verbal people, did not help us at all. In fact, it was, it was worse because when you get into a heated argument with someone, you can say specific things that you know are going to be hurtful and trigger that person, 
But when you're trying to create, you know, a, a sense of, uh, you know, understanding and empathy with a person, like, it's harder to make words for that because it's a feeling, you know, it's a very vague kind of nondescript thing, how you feel about something. Those things, if you think back to when you first fell in love, are most conveyed through eye contact. Mm-hmm. When you touch somebody's hand, somebody like strokes your face. I'm a big hand. person on that too. I try, I'm, 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 I think people get the impression that I'm not a touchy-feely person because I have a very, very small circle. Um, you have to be pretty, you, I have to feel connected to you in a big way before I'm going to feel comfortable hugging you or touching you or in anything, any of that way. But then once I am comfortable with that, I, I'm just, I, you can't, I, I can't help it. I literally right. can't help it. I, you know, I was just posting about this last week that I was laughing because, especially when I'm drinking, and I don't know why, I guess it's because that filter there that says, hey, don't do this because you're probably making someone uncomfortable. That's like gone. Mm-hmm. So I just do what I feel. And I have like an awful tendency to like put my arm around people. I like to sit on people's laps. That's mm-hmm. like a big thing I do, which like I feel like people take that as something that it's not. Um, but I guess that's why it's good that I only do it pe- to people who are close to me because they know that I don't mm-hmm. mean anything by it. It's just, I just want to be real close to you mm-hmm. right now. I just want to well, be intoxication, super close. Intoxication, because it breaks down all of those things that our mind needs clarity to put into boxes and to label and to say this is okay, but this isn't okay over here. And this like, right. But that brain- is a really good, it, it got me on a thought process of it's strange to me that, you know, a kid can sit on your lap. And nobody thinks anything twice about it. Or you can kiss a kid. You can kiss your, your son or daughter. Mm-hmm. And it's there's nothing weird about it because it's, it's clearly platonic because they're a kid. But then at what age that becomes inappropriate? Because obviously, you know, your dad might kiss you on the lips when you're two years old, but he's not going to do that when you're 16. It's fucking weird. So <laughs> Unless you're Donald Trump, apparently. Right, yeah. Okay, yeah, there's that. <laughs> no, it's but, still weird. It's just <laughs> fucking weird. It's okay with him, I guess. But, um... I don't know. I guess, and you know, with children, I feel like that's a easy thing to understand. Like, you know, but as people get older, I guess what I'm trying to say is platonic love has a boundary for most people. And that was hard for me to understand. Even up into high school, I had a lot of friends that I was very close to and may even at some point have had really intimate feelings for but didn't want to be romantically involved in Mm -hmm. and i had plenty of female friends who were completely straight had no interest in me and i kissed a lot of them i know my my best friend drew in we held hands up into our 20s because i would be like i'm just lonely i just want to hold your hand Mm -hmm. and she was fine with it it's it's culturally acceptable so yeah that was weird for me because i guess i've always been like that but not to a lot of people, just to a very, very few select people. But that was, it, it, it wasn't weird for me for a kiss to be platonic. Mm-hmm. But in American culture, that is very weird. People well, I don't. think it can send mixed messages. Like I said, we're subjective human beings. So when people become intoxicated, especially, you know, it's hard enough when you and I are sober and we have you know, all of our faculties and all the words that we can to express to one another what we're thinking, and even that's inadequate. Then you add intoxication. So now all of the social barriers are blurred. Like, it just makes everything that's a lot more like difficult. Because it, it's just, you're just feeling stuff. But the problem with that is, is that I have found that me personally, 
I feel a lot of my own feelings that I keep reserved because for some reason I think they're going to make somebody uncomfortable or they might be inappropriate or they might get taken the wrong way. That's all gone. It's just mm-hmm. raw feeling for me. Right. But I, I've learned that other people when they're intoxicated sometimes have feelings that, that aren't even real. They're mm-hmm. just they're just a subject of the alcohol. Right. You know, and that that's weird for me. Like when people get into fights when they're drunk and they're like, I wasn't even mad about anything. I don't know what happened. Mm-hmm. That's weird for me because I'm like, for me, alcohol doesn't create feelings for me. Mm-hmm. It just unleashes feelings Well, my for grandmother me. used to say, what's in you when you're sober comes out when you're drunk. Right. But so. I, I don't know. I, I guess I've just, I've had so many experiences with people. I used to think that until I have more experiences with people where they do act ridiculous when they're drunk. And you know what I mean? There's no explanation for it. Mm-hmm. It's just... <laughs> It's well, there's, there's probably an explanation is one that we don't have a clue. Yeah, I mean, maybe, maybe that I mean, person maybe does have true. pent up hostilities. Maybe they don't even realize it. You know, I mean, maybe maybe they notice things or things seem exaggerated. For example, if somebody looks at you a certain way and you're sober, maybe you just realize they're staring off into space because they're thinking about something. But if you're drunk and you look across the room, you're like, what are you looking at? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, because your perception of everything is skewed and blurred and and more emotional you're naturally more emotional so but yeah I mean I get what you're saying because like animals and and so after I would have these these very verbal arguments with my spouse and realize that I would think like why do we have words I hate words words just make things worse and I just feel like words don't solve anything and then I would sit on the couch with the cat or the dog like depressed and the cat or dog would just love on me and I would look at this creature who has no fucking words and I'm like how can you make me feel so much better? You don't have any words. And I was like, oh my God, like maybe words, like I hate words now. Now, first I went from loving words and wanting to learn every word in a thesaurus so I could write a phrase to bring someone into my mind. And now I just hate words. Like, how did that happen? And I just feel like, you know, that process of my brain started a long time ago. And I've kind of built on this theory that, you know, language just being finite and categorizing where life itself it's like analog and digital life is analog it's continue a continuous spectrum digital no matter how fine the pixels is still digital there's still breaks you know in the in the between one thing and another thing and so the problem is with our language it's just causing us to want all these we want as we're evolving as a species right we want to have more words to describe everything we're, we're so driven with data and everybody's out there expressing themselves and all these on all these social media and like everybody's talking and writing and all leaves a lot of room for misunderstanding yeah there's so much verbal stuff but my my speech teacher i remember telling me that you know the percentage of verbal to nonverbal and your speech teacher in college probably told you this too the percentages are different it used they used to tell you some crazy thing like only seven percent was verbal <laughs> but now i think they say like 60 percent is nonverbal, 40 percent is verbal so the words you're hearing are really a small amount of what communication is happening right yeah body language is a big thing and tone of voice the yeah. context of what you're speaking about which i feel like is why um for as weird as i am that i am so social and people do perceive me very well for the most part is because i'm really good about that about like making eye contact and like mm-hmm. but not too much eye contact and like i talk with my hands a lot i'm, I'm really i have a lot of body language mm-hmm. and a lot of facial expressions and um you know, I do funny voices and impressions and stuff. <laughs> just telling a regular story like, man, I went to Walmart and Lady Catchers was like, 
excuse me like you know what i mean like just fucking stupid shit like that well you are irish so you can tell a tale you can weave a tale (laughs) so yeah no that i think that is absolutely um a big part of it i have a lot of anxiety but none of it is social anxiety and i when people tell me about their social anxiety i'm like yeah that's just not something i get i mean i i don't think i as long as you're not a closed-minded bigot that walks up and says racial slurs to my face, I feel like there's probably some way I can I can try to connect with you. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Which is, I don't know. Maybe that's my ego again, but I feel like uh, if I can't connect with you, that something's wrong with you. <laughs> because, you know what I mean? I, I'm, I'm pretty good with people. Yeah. So, I don't know. I mean, and you have to have like a feedback loop. You have to, if you say, and I've met people who have zero. I have met people that, you know, You'll see them talking to another person and the other person is giving them every nonverbal signal in the world that they don't want to listen to that person and that person just keeps talking. Now, whether they're just rude or whether they really are unable to tell that when a person's not making eye contact with you, when they're looking at their watch, when they're looking away, when they're, it's, they're barely tolerating your speaking right now. Right. You should probably just stop. Yeah. But... And, you know, for whatever reason, but I'm just saying, like, there's those feed, nonverbal feedback that some people are very aware of and that some people are completely clueless to. Um, so on the, on the issue of labels. So the problem with labels and categorizing is once you determine that a thing is, like, a man is now determined as a person with a penis and, you know no breasts and whatever we use to determine okay what a male is now we say well these are all males but the problem with that is again just like with the dogs human beings have so many so much variety within the group that they're listed with now i know you'll hear women say oh all men this all men that or men will say all women are like this or whatever you know so we start to create like these uh stereotypes well, they are stereotypes because now that we've put all men in a category, what does that tell us? They're just all people with the same phys- physiological characteristic. That literally is the only thing that makes them a man unless we want to say, well, of course we know all men have these behaviors, which is bullshit. But when you start to say that all men have, like we always say, well, men are more aggressive. Really? Men are more violent. Really? Women are more emotional. Really? Are they really? Maybe men are emotional and they express their emotions in a different way because that's what society has trained them. The only appropriate way for a boy to react to emotion is by punching someone in the face. So now we're trying to retrain all of, we're really looking at gender roles and how much of it is societal and how much of it is actually testosterone driven versus estrogen driven. We're really starting to dig into all those nitty gritty things that make us men and women and and in between, you know, people that identify you know, with the opposite gender. Um, so much of this is right on the edge of just not even really being fully explored. I mean, it's just, we're just starting on this journey of trying to understand gender. I mean, sexuality, you know, homosexuality, um, f- for whatever people are, some people are unnerved by it, has been around literally forever. Yeah. You know, we know this in history. There have been homosexual homosexuals in every culture. There's been gay people, queer people, whatever, forever, Okay. But, yeah, they even find that in some animals, surprisingly. I mean, well, physiologically, even some animals, the male is the one that watches over the eggs. And I mean, it's like you can find in nature some real like anomalies that, you know, I mean, will blow your there, mind. there are no, there is no um, 
reproductive reason for two male animals to try to reproduce, but we see that all the time. Um, I think penguins was the first. Penguins and dolphins were the one I read about. They can, the males can reproduce? They can't reproduce, but they, they will try to mate with other so males. So they have like a, a lifelong like mate with another. Right. Okay. With a male. Mm-hmm. And it makes, I mean, no biological sense, mm-hmm. but it happens. I heard someone theorize once that um, they believe that homosexuality was a genetic variant in, that arises in populations um, for multiple different reasons. One would be um, you know, caring for young, that maybe they, the the particular tribe or group has enough, <clears throat> you know, children at the moment, but they need more mothers, and there's a lacking of mothers from disease or whatever. And you know, I don't know, like, it's 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 kind. Of, I had never heard that theory before, but I'll try to find that and put a link onto it. But I was like, whoa, I never thought about that. But basically, that like the genetic variant of homosexuality arose out of <clears throat> some need in nature, hmm. and it's actually genetically in there somewhere. No. So words are limiting and we're trying to talk about gender, which is obviously on a vast spectrum. You've got men that range anywhere from extremely masculine males to complete effeminate to, I mean, identifying as a female and vice versa in women. So when I was young, I had... You know, I was, I always grew up a tomboy. My brother, um, I have a bro- brother who's one year older than me and two sisters, one who's four years younger, one who's 13 years younger. And, you know, our family was very patriarchal. My brother was the firstborn son of the firstborn son in the family. So it was kind of like an important thing, you know, being the male child. And, I don't know. It's hard for me to say whether I perceived that growing up that boys were in a higher stature. I mean, I, I would assume I did. I can see that now looking back. But a lot of time kid, kids in the, in the midst of their experience don't consciously recognize it. But I'm sure on a subconscious level I realized that boys had status over girls, right? And also boys got to do all of the cool things. Like boys got to be firemen and, you know, policemen, cowboys, Boys got to go be hunters and go in the jungle. And what do girls get to do? Play with lipstick and glitter and Barbies? Like, I just felt like it's such a ripoff to be a girl. Like, girls do just, I mean, I'm not slamming on girl stuff now. <laughs> like, I just was not into that. And right. so yeah, I don't know either. how much of it was emulating male behaviors because males were perceived as being more valuable than females but I I really do feel like I just enjoyed that stuff so I kind of had this impression that you know I could just go on being boy-like the rest of my life and then puberty happened right yeah okay what a fucking bummer that was so I was probably in seventh grade and I had my hair was cut short. I wore ties all the time. <laughs> if you picture Alex P. Keaton on family, on the family, was family ties? You ever see that show? It's an older show, but um, the Back to the Future guy. Oh. You know who, he, who I'm yeah. talking about. So I'm terrible with names, but he was on this show and he played like this young Republican type. Always had a tie on when he was in high school, like, you know, clean cut guy. So like that was kind of my dress code, like preppy boy shirts and ties and pretty much 
that was my thing. See, I went through that phase of cutting my hair really short and wearing um, ties, but I wore them with skinny jeans, and it was more like a, um, I don't know. Like a hipster thing? It was like an emo thing in the days when I did it. But, um, yeah, I've definitely always been a more tomboy, masculine person. I can specifically remember this time that a friend of mine was having a sleepover for his birthday when we were in, like, fifth or sixth grade at these cabins and they they had a cabin that had two different or th- i think it maybe i don't know a couple different rooms the boys were on one side and the girls were on the other side and the entire night um i was just hanging out with the dudes because they were all my friends and i mm-hmm. think that was like the first time that i realized that um i was more boy-like than mm-hmm. girl-like because literally i was the only girl in this whole room but this was pre you know this was sixth grade so right all the guys just treated me like a guy then right and so that was pretty shocking too then we went through middle school and now all these dudes that i was just friends with before suddenly expected me to to be something more you know what i mean I, they didn't treat me like an equal anymore right treated me like an object yeah so that was really shitty but um yeah i mean yeah, i was really i weird. wonder like boys because girls have a whole different experience with that i guess than boys do i mean i'm not a guy so i can't of course speak to anything boys have their own things when they're going through puberty that i'm sure are like horrible and they got to deal with but um you know one of the things they always make fun of is the guy getting, getting like a boner like in class and shit like i don't know if that's for real like i, I don't I, I that's like something i would never have to you know understand or experience but but like being a female i do feel like you know you get to that point where boys switch over when they're like well you were cool to be on my team now but now you're like only cool for me to date you right like you take on a different significance after puberty so when I think back to like seventh and eighth grade I definitely didn't want to be quote one of the guys because I liked guys and I was trying to hang out with boys to like be one of them because I liked them because I hated guys because they were at the phase where everything like they were drawing like pussies in each other's books like who I drew pussy in your book like in Audrey Dick in your book, like they were just typical seventh grade, right, moronic, know, yeah. sex obsessed, fucking like d- the brain was just on like tits and pussy. Like that's all they talked about, <laughs> thought about, like one track fucking mind. And I'm like, oh God, yeah. these guys are so gross. But like, so I wasn't trying to like be like them. I just didn't feel like girly and effeminate like the girls. So I was kind of lost. Yeah, I feel but that. I, but I think now that you know, we're talking about labels, like fast forward to now, I'm in the seventh grade and I'm in that same, you know, situation. So with all of the awareness and all of the, the people talking about gender issues, I kind of feel like if I would have talked to somebody at that period of my gender confusion, they would have categorized me as, you know, identifying as a male. If you sat down and had a conversation with me in the seventh grade, you probably, today, right. you would probably say, well, you're identifying as a male and that's fine and that's good and blah, 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 blah. And out of a, out of a want to not to discourage me from how I was seeming to naturally feel, I think I would have been put into a category that may not have been the right category. Right, Yeah. So that's what concerns me about the labeling. It's like, and when I when I had you and your brother, I was committed to gender neutral child rearing because I hated the, the patriarchal shit that I had to deal with. And so I just wanted, and my family was so retarded. I mean, I shouldn't say retarded. They were so backwards about, you know, um, 
boys can't play with pots and pans. Boys can't play with dolls. Girls can't play with trucks. Like everything had to be specifically, you know, gender specific. And so I gave you guys every toy from whatever, you know, you wanted. Now, you did not like to play with Barbie dolls. You were never really, like you played with little baby baby dolls like once in a great while. But you were just like not really interested. You didn't really like effeminate toys. And so I was kind of like really cautious of whether I was impressioning on you that you shouldn't like girly stuff because I wasn't really girly. But I really just think naturally you just took after me in that way that you were just tomboyish. Now your brother was 100% boy from the word go before he could even make words. He would make truck sounds and engine sounds. He was a gearhead from... I mean, I gave him baby dolls and the only thing he did with them was try to like pound those little shapes in through the, you know, the little board with the wooden shapes that fit in. And he would pound them with the, the nails with the baby head. Like it wasn't a baby to him. So, and now he's like the best father in the world, but like he just wasn't into the whole baby doll thing. So, I mean, I think it's good to give your kids like a variety of stuff, but they're going to gravitate like one way or the other and you just have to like accept that and just be fine with whatever direction they go but the labeling worries me because when we go into the gender question and now there's like all of these labels for like the different genders and people get like offended if you call them like the wrong thing or or whatever for one thing I think it seems unbalanced the of your overall entire whole personality that that's your one label. That that's the thing you're the most fixated on. Right. I agree with that. I don't think that, you know, sexuality in particular should be um, the label of somebody's entire personality. You know, I, I remember in high school, you know, being growing up in West Virginia, in our area, there aren't, weren't a lot of gay people. And there was like a couple gay people in our school, but one kid that that's how everyone described him. Well, you know, the gay kid. And I'm just like... Well, first of all, he has a name. Right. <laughs> and secondly, there's like, not, that's not, I would have said, you know, that kid from band or, some, you know, something else. Like the, the fact that that was the first thing that they thought of, which now I feel like they probably did that because to them it was weird because they never met anybody that was like that before. Right. So to them, um, like, this is a trait that stands out around right. this area. So if, it's like if the kid with, you know, purple hair, is the only kid with purple hair you just say that because that's the easiest way to get to the point of who you're talking about right yeah but I guess the label gay that was not um I don't know that, that wasn't the identifying factor for that kid for me but right and I just feel like you know I don't I've tried to go on and watch some videos about people explaining what these different nuances to their gender is and I have to admit that I'm just really at a loss to understand it because in my mind, you're taking something that is a complete palette, a, a never-ending spectrum of degrees, and you're still trying to delineate that thing into, well, I'm like this level of, and you're like one level further. Like, I don't understand it. Like, why can't we just say in an, in a um, analog way like I just am whatever I am like, yes, why do you have to digitize like it and say it has to be like well I'm this but like and some people will say that they have like five or six different ones that they're all of those things and like that I don't understand 
I mean, if your purpose of labeling it is to say I'm this and not this, why would you have all these different things? <laughs> I don't know. It's just very confusing. See, none of those things really, I guess, mattered to me. And I've, I've sported a lot of different looks, some of which when I sported really masculine looks, um, people did call me by uh, male pronouns or, you know, accidentally misgendered me or whatever. And uh, I used to even, when that whole transgender bathroom thing was going on and I had a shaved head, people give me dirty looks and shit. And I'm like... Going I, into a female yeah, bathroom. Yeah, I'm like, do mm-hmm. I have to show you my genitalia to show you that I, like, literally was born a fucking female? Like, first of all, why the fuck do you care? Right. Go piss and leave. Um, but, yeah, no, it was just... But none of that ever bothered me. It wasn't ever, like, an insult of somebody... I mean, I remember one time me and you were grocery shopping and you ran into somebody from work. And they were like, oh, is this your son? Mm-hmm. And you were like... No, this is my daughter. And, like, they were horrified, but I was just like, it's not a big deal. Like, it's fine. Like, I mean, it's, embarrassed, <laughs> horrified. Like, yeah, they were embarrassed. How I'm could just, I make that mistake? Like, but, I mean, you had a ball cap on backwards and... And a shaved head and, and a leather jacket. You can't see my boobs. I mean, yeah, yeah I mean, it's fine. It's not that big of a deal. Yeah. Like, <laughs> that that's the part I don't get is if people do, you know, prefer to have labels, that's fine, but I, I just don't think it's anything to get up in arms over. You know, I mean, yeah, I mean, I guess a younger me probably would have been offended because I would have been like, oh, they don't perceive me as feminine and that's offensive to me. But then, you know, when I try to examine that, like, well, why? Right. Why is that offensive to me? I know I'm a woman and I have absolutely no doubt in my mind that I am what I am. Right. So it doesn't bother me. Well, and the thing I think, too, that we have to be when we're talking about gender, things we got to get out right away is that gender is always going to be a sensitive issue for people because when you're talking about another person's gender it's all also in relation to your gender because we've been for you know eons taught there's male and female and a female's relation in life is always in respect to a male like we we're opposites of we're told we're opposites of each other well that's a good argument too just for the simple fact that when you talk about issues especially online people want to put you in a box so that right. they can um describe you as one way and, you know, I made some comment on some post. I don't remember. It was on. It was in this group on Facebook called uh, When You're an Alphabet Person But You're Tired of Alphabet People. And they mm-hmm. mean alphabet like LGBTQ or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were like, well, of course you'd say that because you're straight. And I was like, how do you know that? And they're like, well, are you? And I was like, I don't choose to identify either way. Do you need to know my past sexual history for you to, you know, decide whether or not I'm worthy right. of making this comment or not? You know what I mean? Like, right. that's kind of shitty. No, I don't, I don't think I need to divulge to you well, like, when who people, I have sex with. When we used to go to clubs and we'd go to, you know, your dad and I, when we were younger, we used to go to, you know, open clubs and, you know, people would try to ask me, like, what my, you know, was I gay, straight, bi, whatever. And I would just always say I don't discriminate. And the reason I specifically said I don't discriminate is because... If you meet an individual and you have feelings for that individual, for who that person is and their personality and who, you know, you're attracted to them for their tra- other traits, like to me, the genitalia is like an afterthought. Right, exactly. Like it's not. I'm I mean, the same way. I realize it's for some people that's a, that's a no-go. And that's 100%. Fine. And that's Everybody's fine. Everybody's got boundaries. But I just felt like to say I'm one or the other implies a whole lot of other different things that go with that label that may not be me. Right. So I don't want to say I'm in this category. All I want to tell you is that I, I don't have a, I just, I don't discriminate against men or women when I'm 
speaking to somebody as far as right well interest yeah yeah i totally get that i don't like to put labels i think for a long time i was like oh yeah i'm bisexual but then people started trying to put a lot of other um boundaries on that right and i'm like i don't really know where i go with that so um how about i'll just sleep with who i want as long as it's consensual (laughs) let's just not worry about it all right Let's right. not talk and, about it. You know, when I when I if went, you can't tell that I'm putting the moves on you, I'm either going to assume that you're not interested, or you know what I mean. Like, just just not worry about it. I don't yeah. need a label for that. Right. Yeah, and I was very stunned when we went, and obviously we didn't go to too many different places. We went to a couple of clubs in Wheeling that were you know once in a while, and then we'd go to Pittsburgh once in a while. Went to Stuville a couple times, but um, I was really shocked to find out how many people in the gay community are really discriminating against bisexuals against different people like they definitely the gay community has never been very accepting of bisexuals. like racially like i knew a black guy who was gay who was completely discriminatory against uh hispanics and i'm like i don't understand that like how can you be a black man and have suffered the racial you know I, I just don't get it. Like, how are you doing that to somebody else? Like, yeah, you know I, and what op- you're gay. You know what oppression feels like. So, how are you doing it? So, to how are you going to oppress a gay Hispanic man? Like, I like if you say I'm not attracted to Hispanic men. Okay, like everybody's a different preferences, but like, like just didn't like them at all. And I was like, yeah, that's just prejudice. So then there's gay men who call bisexual men breeders, right? Yeah, very disdainfully. Like, if you've been with a woman, you are like toxic. Like, I'll never. I would never. Yeah. If you've Lesbians been with do a woman. that too. And it, it is. It's like, so you're, it's so weird to me because I thought like when I first went there, coming from a completely restrictive, like, you know, conservative Catholic you family. Think they're like, going to be all accepting. I'm just like, oh my God, like it's no. so nice to be around people who they're are just, just regular people. Accept everybody. And I was like, wow, there's a lot of assholes here. Tonight. Yeah. <laughs> And there's a lot of of people full of love, too. But I'm just saying, like, you can't just go, well, if we go into a gay bar, everybody there knows what it's like to be beat down. So they're going to not ever beat anybody else down. No, that doesn't happen. Like, it's a lot of lesbian women uh, pull that shit, too, where if you if you are bisexual, um, if you're in a heterosexual relationship while you are bisexual, if you're choosing to date a man at the time or whatever that they like, they're like, well, you're not really gay. You know, we'll prove it. And I'm just like, now you just sound like a man. You know what I mean? Like, you know what I mean? Prove it. Well, I hate that. Yeah. But, oh, man. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I was got... very careful not to push that boundary because, you know, in Wheeling, going to the school I went to, when I, first of all, when I found out that I was bisexual, first I thought I was gay because mm-hmm. I was always a tomboy. I didn't like guys. I was in middle school. They were all fucking ignorant. I didn't, I didn't get along with any of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but I got along with women and... I was really attracted to women. So I was like, oh, I'm gay. Like, that's what this is. I'm definitely gay. Like, and then as I got older and met, you know, men, boys that were more mature, I realized, oh, I just don't like those ones. Um, (laughs) I don't like morons. Right. You can have a penis. Just leave the moron part out. (laughs) Right. Yeah. So I didn't like that. So then, you know, as I got into high school, I was like, oh, no, okay, I'm definitely not gay. It's just I don't like idiots. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I don't know. People from even from that time, they just they want a label out of you so quick, right. and it's like I don't know. And what some I am of them yet. are just like wanting a one nighter. And if you tell them 
that you're not, you know, like you don't just go home and sleep with somebody the first time you meet them. Oh, you're not really gay. Oh, you're not really gay. Yeah, I get it. And it's like, no, I'm just not. But I was really careful not to do that to other people because (laughs) all through high school, there was a lot of girls who now I understand looking back that they were probably just experimenting in different ways. And a lot of them probably were pretending uh, because it's a. women men and women think that lesbians are an attractive thing Mm -hmm. so a lot of girls like pretend they like girls because they're trying to impress a guy so like it took me a long time to get that that's what was happening in some of these relationships that I had but I was always careful not to do that I never accused anybody of like lying or like oh you're not really you know what I mean because Mm -hmm. that really bothered me when someone said it to me and the truth was I just wasn't into that girl and I'm not like I'm not like fat phobic and there's nothing against fat people. It's just I, you know, I'm not attracted to a very heavy set person. Mm-hmm. Um, not discriminatory against it either. Um, but I just, I wasn't attracted to her. She was just, I just, mm-hmm. I don't know. I just wasn't. Um, so then you get that too. Like, oh, you know, it's, it's 2020. You get that for everything. You say you're not attracted to someone. They're like, why? Because she's fat. Why? Because she's Hispanic. Why? Because she's a lesbian. Like, no, dude, I don't know. I'm just not like, <laughs> I just you're not it my is type. officially you're it's officially okay to not be attracted to somebody right yeah like, it doesn't mean you're a hater it just means you physically can't get excited about the thought of critical. being with that person I'm far more critical I think of men too than I am women um men have to be a very specific type for me to like and that comes from all personality I think women I don't know I've met a lot of women some of them are you know really bubbly and not you know don't have a lot of knowledge about things and I'm like I mm-hmm. don't care she's gorgeous but mm-hmm. men, it's the opposite, you know, like mm-hmm. men can look a lot of ways, but if you're an idiot, I can't, I can't, I just can't yeah, find you attractive. I would I say that that is really true because I, when I look back at the spectrum of men that I was like googly eyed over, like they range from like way younger than me. I mean, my current mate's 13 years younger. I would dare say he's probably the youngest uh, person I was attracted to, but um you know, I've been attracted to some really a lot older guys, like guys mm-hmm. old enough to be like my dad, mm-hmm. like, which is weird. But I mean, a college professor, you know, I mean, it's just like their intellect and you just get so like drawn in by their personality and just yeah. all over the map, heavy guys, skinny guys, like it really, there is no physical type for me. It's just how a guy comes, how he comes to himself, like how he is, how he conducts himself with women, you know, I would be like, oh, well, I like you know, women who kind of have an ethnic type of look to them. You know, if a woman looks like kind of foreign, like, I don't know, it's it's an added thing. And I don't know, maybe it's just because like the Barbie thing is too like, <laughs> yeah, know, too overdone in our culture. It's like too, okay, well, there's a million people that look like well, Barbie. Well, in the couple relationships like, I had with different women, um, I there was one girl that was incredibly intelligent. And I was like obsessed with her because she was just so smart. She's so educated about things. But then there was another girl that I had this thing with for a while, and she was she was pretty bubbly, you know, didn't, wasn't really, I don't know, she wasn't dumb, she just, you know, wasn't interested in more intellectual things, but um, that didn't bother me about her at all. She was just, like, really fun, but with men, I yeah, I don't know, something about, I don't know, I guess I just have a higher standard for them, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess, too, because a lot of the men that I've dealt with come with a lot of bad habits that women I've I've dealt with do not have. Like, all of the women that I was ever involved with are pretty neat and clean. They didn't, mm-hmm. you know, kick their socks off in the middle of the floor and throw their jackets on the floor and shit, as, as opposed to most men that I've dealt with have been that now, way. Now, does it matter, like, when you go to, like, I mean, I kind of know, since I know, you know, Doug, 
in the, you know, I would put him on the um, fairly masculine end of the scale with like a few little quirks. But like when it comes to women that you're attracted to, or do you find more effeminate women or more masculine women? I like feminine women. See, and that's why look, but I feel like by attitude they <laughs> they range. I like women with dominant personalities. I don't mm-hmm. like I don't like meek women. Right. Um, which, I mean, I can. I mean, you know what I mean? Because if you get along with a person and you start to fall for them, it is what it is. Yeah. But I, I've, I've, I've typically always end up going after these women that are very strong-willed. You know? Yeah. They're very... They're not going to let anybody walk on them. I like that. Um, but, yeah, most of them are very feminine-looking. In my perspective, anyway. Like, they have long hair and, mm-hmm. you know, et cetera, et cetera. But... I mean, I saw, I've, I've been attracted to a couple girls that had, like, a very androgynous look. Yeah, that's So too. they almost look that's like too. a thin-billed boy, but, like, more on the effeminate side. And I feel like if I was in a relationship with a woman, I would be the more, like, like the rescuer. <laughs> like, I, I yeah, I look, like I'm four foot, I, I'm four foot 11 against... inches tall, and I'm, and I'm very, like, I couldn't pull, pull off a boy look Yeah, whatsoever. I mean, I have nothing against the women, you know, lesbians or bisexual women who have more of a butch look. It's just, I guess I've always been the more masculine-looking person. Right, like, I just think, like, it's, you kind of, you're kind of yin and yang each other. So, right. like, if you feel like in a, with a woman, like, you're the more yang, then you're going to look for a yin, you know what I mean? Right, like, exactly, kinda, yeah. Kind of would go that way. I don't know if dudes do that or not. Like, I don't know. I mean, sometimes you'll see, like, two gay dudes and, like, one's more masculine, one's more feminine. Yeah, what but sometimes you that? have, like, two very feminine guys. Like, it's, I guess it's all over the map there, too. But, you know. So gender and sexuality, so fascinating. It's, it's like, really. That's what kills me. I just, I don't know. The whole label, labeling all of that just makes no sense to me. Which, I mean, if that's what people need to feel comfortable, good for them. I guess I just look at that in the same way as people who are religious. I'm like, hey, if you need, if you need to tell yourself that there's something, somebody up there that you're talking to to work through whatever you're dealing with, more mm-hmm. power to you. If you need a label to, to accept yourself or accept where you're at in life, that's fine. But I don't need any of that, so please don't push it on me. Right. And But my problem, though, is, again, with the labels. Okay, so once you put somebody in a category, there's all these other things that are assumed about them because they're in that category. And, like, right. with gender and sexuality... I mean, I just feel like you can't. There's, it's so nebulous. It's so individualized. It's well, so subjective. I, I like, how do like you possibly label it? The biggest reason in that, too, I feel like I don't like labels is because you're right. It comes with all of those things attached to it. And one of my biggest things is that I don't like when people expect things from me, especially if it comes to being intimate. You know, mm-hmm. if, if a guy meets me um, and assumes just because I'm female that that means we have some kind of chemistry and he should... Um, pursue me in a sexual way I don't like that because now I feel obligated to reciprocate that to you Mm -hmm. because of my own personality flaws Mm -hmm. so I'm like I don't like that that's why I'm very I'm very I like to be upfront with people you know what I mean Mm -hmm. from from the very time that I meet them you know that it's like either I have absolutely no interest in you you're you know at all or or I do Mm -hmm. you know what I mean I don't I don't like to give mixed messages that freaks me out because I don't like when people expect things from me and I don't like having to be the guy to say no but I will um, but yeah, just, I don't, I just don't like those expectations mm-hmm. that comes with that. And I feel like the people that I've watched videos on with, with regard to gender that are, um, you know, I, I would never, uh, you know, want to be hurtful to anybody regardless of where they put themselves in the spectrum. Cause and look, we're all on this earth trying to find our way, trying to figure out what we're supposed to do. So if you don't have any ill intent towards another human being, Hey, I, you know, right. more, more power, power to you. you right. 
but I feel like I watch some of these videos and they're the people that that people would say dude that person's far out right and somebody who can't even cope with they haven't even learned to cope with homosexuality yet and then you have this person who's saying like I identify as whatever this on Tuesday I'm this and on Wednesday I'm that right that that's the level I'm talking so I feel like those people are um you know being manipulated because they've learned about these things that they believe are they believe are going to help them to figure out who they are and it's confusing them more than if they were just allowed to non-label right and find your own path man just find your own path i mean i think it is really dangerous to push labels on kids especially when they're you know in high school or they're teenagers because you just develop so much through those years and you know first of all i think that putting putting labels period you know messes with people Right. Like, well, I think the fact that so many men from your generation don't come out until later was mm-hmm. because they were expected. For sure. To be straight. For sure. And so they had to suppress that when in reality, maybe when they went through puberty, they would have experimented around and found out who they really were sooner. Right. So, I mean, I think that's the same thing. I don't think you should immediately, just because somebody's a tomboy, be kind of pushing them in the direction right. that they're trans because maybe, maybe they're not. Exactly. Maybe and then you have parents who are so oversensitive to the idea that if their child shows a little bit of confusion, they jump in and want to be the positive reinforcement to know it's perfectly good. It's great. We're so happy that you're trans. And it's like, but yeah, you're kind of already making a decision by saying we're happy that you're trans. What, you're, what your child is expressing to you is like right now I want to wear a dress and I'm a boy. Like, Okay, that's fine. So wear a dress. Right. It's cool. Tomorrow, if you want to wear pants, that's cool. You if you want to wear a dress like all week, that's cool. You just cool. put I too mean, much pressure on people to make a solid decision about things. Yeah. And I think it's wrong to tell parents who, you know, have a child who's expressing gender confusion that they have to support them being trans because I feel like, no, what they have to do is accept and love their child no matter what their child is expressing. Right. Like, in, in if tomorrow, if that child comes, because look, what happens well, if you your child you tells you... you force somebody into thinking they're trans and, you know, say a boy who just likes to be feminine or wear dresses or makeup, you don't want to force him into thinking that he's trans. And then, you know, he grows up and realizes that, no, I'm just, I'm just a male that likes feminine things and likes to wear, you know what I mean? Like, right. So, you know what I mean? It's kind of robbing them of their personality to force them to believe that because they like those feminine things that they're female right you know so yeah i definitely yeah, who decided who decided thing. that makeup was a girl thing right. who decided that being it's a firefighter a was a boy personal thing? thing that i don't think people should you should just let people feel it out on their own yeah. you know and i mean all, the big message is to just like love that person right. and not try to pass judgment on them if and because the other thing is once you once they're labeled what if the, that kid decides now well mom seems so happy that I'm trans, but what if two months from now I feel like I don't like that anymore? And then, then, then it might be the opposite of the boy back in the 50s who was gay, you know, whose dad told him you absolutely can't be that. Now you've got someone who accepted their child was trans and then told the world, I'm so proud of my trans child. And then two months later, the kid's like thinking, well, I thought I felt that way, but now I feel like I'm changing. I feel like I'm not that. Right. But now mom's already gone out to the world and been like, oh, I'm so proud of my trans child. So now... It's kind of like stop interjecting 
yourself into the whole situation. Right, exactly. Your goal is should just be to love that. This is all, of course, my opinion, which is means nothing. Yeah, it's just I mean, my I opinion. Agree, though, yeah. But you know, and, and yeah, I feel like the biggest thing about this whole conversation is I feel like um, that everyone has an opinion on it, and as long as those opinions are in goodwill of understanding and having a discussion, that it should be accepted, um, mm-hmm. even if it's criticized. But I think that this very toxic online community, because I mean, I know gay people, I know trans people, and I've never never had any of these issues in real life and discussing any of these topics, but um, there is a very toxic, loud online community. And, um, you know, you call somebody the wrong pronoun and they absolutely have a meltdown on you. And it's like, you know, if someone accidentally calls you the wrong pronoun because you present one way that socially we've learned is is one gender or the other, Mm -hmm. if they meant no harm to it, maybe just correct them and move on. Yeah. You know, you don't have to, and you know, I feel like blowing up on that is just your own insecurities. Or manufactured outrage. Right. And I it's mean, like, there's some of that too. It's like, calm down. You know, if, so, if someone genuinely doesn't mean ill will to you, have some perspective. You right. know what I mean? Don't make an enemy out of somebody who isn't your enemy. Yeah. So a lot of that needs to change too, I think. Well, what I, one other point I wanted to bring up too is that, you know, like I said, with labels, once you label something, all of a sudden that thing now becomes uh, you know a category a subcategory whatever so most people before I'd say two or three years ago didn't have had never heard of what an incel I'm not sure when the actual movement evolved but there's an online group mostly online group of males who identify themselves as incels or are they identifying themselves as this now well they Say they're involuntarily celibate, which means that they want to have sex with women, but women won't have sex with them. So they are forced to not have sex because of women. So from what I've, and I haven't done a huge in-depth thing into incels, but like from articles that I've read of parents who dealt with a boy who was having this issue, um, they both lust after women and and hate hate women and see women as a shallow, as a sex object. And that that woman should give them sex because that's a natural order of things. That's that a mental should... defect, I swear it is. So, yeah, I think some of the things that are expressed as part of that psychology are malevolent, you know, or malignant or whatever. They, It's like harmful to themselves and to the female that they're obsessing about. So we've seen already some like mass shootings that have happened because a boy obsesses over a girl and then, you know, he can't have her. So he fills himself up with hatred and just goes on a shooting spree. So now that we have a whole community that has self-labeled as incel, so you get a teenage boy who's in love with his first crush, the high school cheerleader, and she rejects him and goes with the quarterback of the football team. So he's angry and starts to express his anger about being rejected. And the person he expresses it to says, oh, are you an incel? And he goes, well, I don't know. What's that? Well, it's this. Oh, well, let's see. I've been rejected by a female. I'm angry as hell. I guess I am an incel. So they join the group because they fit two of the criteria. Is this an actual group? No, there are there are a lot of on online. Actual like, groups? Where, yes, groups oh of God, men. That's yeah. terrifying. And they, they comfort each other online because each one of them believing they're the only one until... They find the group. And what I'm saying is this is sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy for some of these guys. 
in days prior to when there was a group labeled incel, that guy would have got rejected by the girl. He'd have been bent. He'd have been angry, furious maybe. But then he would have cooled his jets and found another girl to, to like, and he would have moved on. But now he's an incel. He's identified himself as an incel. He's labeled himself as an incel. He's made friends with other incels. You see what I'm saying? It's like a self-fulfilling prophecy that made him into an incel. So that's really terrifying. I always knew that they were like, I don't know. I, I knew that the, what the word incel meant, but I didn't, I didn't realize it was like a group of people that congregated together. I mean, they don't physically meet as far as I know. They're pretty much, you know, I mean, what I imagine them to be are just like loners, like living in their mom's basement or like living alone, like miserable and happy because, I mean, I realize relationships are important, but I've been in and not in relationships and you have to be a whole person. Right. Regard Like no relationship is going to last if you are devoid of, being a whole person you know i mean you have to you have to have like your own soul (laughs) you can't just be fixated on another person yeah that's very strange to me i mean i I guess i have met men like that they're just very hateful and angry towards women especially women that reject them well Um, their whole their whole concept is that um you know the way nature works is males need sex right yeah females supposed to provide it and they blame women who go for these men that they call chads which are like guys who look a certain way but have like no real qualities of a good man. Oh my God. So like that's what they, I mean, I, saw, I swear to God if you look it up. That's crazy. Yeah, so there's like, there's they have all their own little lingo that they talk in, but that's really the only one I know is the Chad that is the guy, the guy that they hate on because he gets the girl when he doesn't deserve the girl. He's not a real man. He's a beta and they're an alpha. Oh my God. And all the, they, they get obsessed with all this these ideas, but... Like, a lot of the people that complain about it, like, if you look at them as people, they need to look internally and go, why aren't girls attracted to me? Because maybe you haven't taken a bath in six weeks. Like, is it because all you do is obsess on hatred? Is it because... Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, I have a lot of male friends. Like, the majority of my friends are male. And um, clearly, the, the ones that I am still friends with now that I've been in a committed relationship for almost eight years... Um, have no interest in me in that way and they've never you know what I mean they've never crossed that line Mm -hmm. Um, which was refreshing because I feel like up until that point even if I had had relationships before it really didn't stop men Mm -hmm. from that but I think after so many years of um, me basically just acting like a bitch Mm -hmm. both online and you know just if you make an advance towards me I'm going to be very very clear and, you know, maybe not a bitch about it, but somebody says something to me and I'm like, I'm not interested at all. Mm-hmm. There's nothing that you can offer me that I don't have at home. I think you know? we just then, have to change the rules just, of the game. And I'm fine with that. Like, we can continue to be friends and talk. Mm-hmm. Just understand that that is a very clear line. If you can't have that, you know, without pursuing right. me, then we can't be friends. But, right. you know, all of the male friends that I have have never, they've never made me feel uncomfortable in any way at all whatsoever. So, I mean, yeah, I guess that's why... I'm, when women say things like men only want one thing mm-hmm. that um i don't know i don't agree with that because i have plenty of male well no there's that, a label that you're applying to a whole group of people that right doesn't respect individual differences yeah i just yeah i don't like that i don't like that at all but anyway um yeah insults that's fucking terrifying wait i have a perfect sound clip for this i'm all excited <laughs> doug set up the ipad so it has sound clips <laughs> and you say incels and i'm gonna say 
<laughs> Can you hear that? What is it's, that? It's Eustace from Courage the Cowardly Dog. And he says, that's it. I'm getting me mallet. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> it's my favorite sound bit. I'm very excited about this, but I don't really have any use for it. Yeah, so anyway, um, anything else? Labels. That's Labels. That's what we wanted to talk about. So if you have nothing to add... I don't, but I just got a text message from the power company saying that they're about to turn the power off in our area. Well, I so, guess our episode's over. <laughs> I guess our episode's <laughs> over. So uh, thank you for listening, guys. We will uh, actually I'll be uploading this episode probably this weekend. Um, now that I have my sound guy, aka Doug, uh, on the fucking ball, asshole. Took like two weeks to edit my last episode. <laughs> so um, we did jack it up pretty bad, though. Yeah, we did. I, I fucked our it up. sound levels were really off, and so. You know, Juke and I both are deficient in the technological department. So, yeah. We, we just blather on. That's what we do. And he has to do all the, like, you know, serious work of, like, yeah. cleaning it up and making it decent. I come in here, I'm like, Doug, uh, you want me to show me how this works? And he's like, get out of here, woman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. No, he doesn't do that. No, doesn't. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But anyway, thanks for listening, guys. We'll see you next week. <laughs>